From Girls Education International, this is the Girls Education International podcast, where we talk about educating girls around the world, women's empowerment, and all the topics in between. I'm Ana Yuvanchief, your host for today. Lopa Gandhi has over 25 years of experience in the field of education. She is the founder of Ugam Education Foundation. Ugam works to transform schools and empower adolescent girls in Jharkhand. She has vast experience in teaching adolescents curriculum design and development, gender issues, HR management, coaching and training, program design, and evaluation. She has worked in various senior positions with some of the leading social sector organizations. Besides education and girls' issues, she's an avid reader and bird watcher and loves spending time in the mountains. In the podcast, we will introduce Ugam's three key pillars and how they are utilized to make a big impact on girls-only residential schools in Eastern India. And we will discuss how the COVID shutdowns created innovative peer leadership programs that help empower and mentor girls today and for generations to come. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast, Lopa. We're so excited to have you. Well, good evening to you and thanks for having me here. Let's jump into the first question. What motivated you to work in the girls' education field in India? I've spent the last 25 odd years working in the not-for-profit education space in general. And given my life circumstance in terms of having children who were very young, etc., I worked for a significant amount of that time with urban poverty. I live in Mumbai, India. So I worked in that space. And slowly, as my situation also changed, I could travel and all of that. I wanted to explore rural spaces. When I ventured into those spaces, slowly I came to kind of realize through multiple sources that girls need to be focused on a lot more. That came from some of the people who, with whom we were interacting on the field. It also came from a series of nasty experiences around violence with girls that happened some years mm -hmm. ago in India. Wow. And that was kind of bothering me because I felt that what can I do about this? And I figured that I should do what I know how to do, which is educate, talk to girls, empower them. So primarily that's been the, the motivation. See, when we talk about girls, it's not just one gender lens, right? There is a lot of intersectionality at play here which Absolutely. is economic social gender patriarchy and uh, many other such yes absolutely so you mentioned that you decided to get into this field because you felt like this is what you knew how to do or knew what to do in these situations when it came to education educating maybe girls empowering women did you go to school for that or was that something you just kind of learned through life or would you like to elaborate on that at all? I have a master's degree, although it is not in education or developmental work. I have learned whatever I know today, largely through my work, through interacting with and learning from some really amazing people and through self-study, reading, doing, trying things. So a large part of it has been not learned in an academic classroom. Awesome. Just life experience. Beautiful. Okay. So with that, how do you believe education has impacted your personal life's trajectory? So my master's is in science, right? So I wouldn't say I'm using exactly what I learned in that master's program. 
in terms of the content that I was taught or I learned. However, I think it gave me a lot of other tools which I continue to use irrespective of where they are being applied, whether it's how you think about an issue, how you analyze a particular issue. Along with that, I would also say a very significant contribution in terms of shaping my thinking and how making me who I am today has been my family. And like I mentioned earlier, I've had the opportunity to work with some really amazing people and all of that has shaped. So it's not just education. It's uh, it's a mix of many things. It's a different matter that without that master's degree, I wouldn't have got into those organizations probably and I wouldn't be here. So it, to that extent, yes, it's helped. It's given me a lens and then the, that lens has become multi-focused and richer and deeper with every interaction and every experience. Awesome. Would you define education as something broader than just academic? Yes, I would in the sense that academic is a degree, right? You get some degree, whatever degree you, you work towards. But I believe that unless it gives you the ability to think or decide empathize, understand, and thereby change something firstly inside you in terms of your view, your worldview, how you relate to people, things like that. And then also something that is in your surroundings. So at <laughs> least your own life situation, your people around you. I feel unless and until you education leads to that change, it's then it's just academic. And Otherwise, I mean, it's it's only a degree. And yes, mm -hmm. economic reward is a significant part of why most people go to school these days. Uh, but I would say it is only one part. And unfortunately, very often that part becomes the sole purpose of educating oneself. And I feel that there are many other purposes which need to be held in balance. It's about knowing yourself better, knowing learning to view things from different people's points of view, showing empathy, compassion, evaluating situations more, effect, uh, more objectively, and like a host of other things, there is social aspects, there is personal aspects, there is psychology, cognitive, but I wouldn't think that you should go to school and get a degree just so that you will get a job or some means of livelihood. Like Mahatma Gandhi had said, we don't want to become heartless intellectuals. <laughs> no, 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 I think education provides a lot more than just book smarts. It can be a host of many things. You can be educated by just talking to people and having life experience, how you were describing. So I agree. <laughs> I agree. But I guess we can kind of shift the topic now to Ugam. And Ugam is dedicated to creating systemic solutions. So I noticed on your website, your three main approaches to building adolescent girl empowerment. And I'd love for you to introduce us to each approach and maybe explain how the three work together. So I started Ugam in 2015. Well, and since then, we've been working in a rural Jharkhand. Jharkhand is a state in Eastern India. It's generally a state with poor development indices on a multiple of parameters. We've been working there and once we started to focus more sharply 
on adolescent girls and their education and empowerment mm-hmm. we started to kind of wonder so sorry i let me take a step back so so when you talk start talking about empowerment and for particularly for adolescent girls right Yes. Uh, we needed to have an understanding or we needed to have some framework about how are we going to approach this because empowerment is very often used but also very broad and sometimes ambiguous uh, term so mm-hmm. for adolescent girls in the context where we work which is rural jharkhand uh, we said let's use three pillars as our uh, defining framework right so the first pillar we uh, defined was around education primarily because we believe that education and empowerment are literally two sides of the same coin any education which does not empower an individual we we think it's it's hollow right and we also believe that in today's day and age unless a person has basic education which is what at least 10 years 12 years of schooling it's very difficult for that person to be truly empowered and of course exceptions exist but i'm talking at a more generic level our first pillar is around education building their learning outcomes creating some curiosity excitement about learning things like that the second pillar is around health and wellness and i'll go into a slight detail a little in a, in a bit and the third pillar is around developing voice and agency amongst these girls because we found these were we through our interactions that these were the three core needs uh, so all of ugam's interventions are would fit into one of these categories right so like i was saying with uh, education and learning it's around remediation bridging the learning losses getting them excited about reading and libraries things like that the health and wellness is around menstrual hygiene these are adolescent girls and that's a very big life changing moment for them so we talk about adolescent about menstrual hygiene we talk about gender roles and stereotypes we talk about anemia because that's very very prevalent in india in general and also in jharkhand uh we talk about uh, mental wellness so these are the broader topics we talk to the girls about and it's all designed through different kinds of activities and all of that i'm just saying talk it doesn't mean everything is a lecture and the voice and agency piece is around helping them develop voice their voice helping them speak up helping them build confidence helping them ask questions so that happens a lot through open ended questions songs storytelling role plays things like that so mm-hmm. that this has been the kind of broader framework around which we have been working okay and what are the names for these three pillars so it, they are hindi names so i didn't use them so we call it shiksha shiksha means education or learning shakti means power for us that is health and wellness and abhivyakti means expression ability to articulate or express that is the voice and agents Thank you for sharing those. I wanted to include them in the podcast even though I think a majority of our listeners do not speak Hindi. I think it's very Oh, uh, that's why I didn't use it initially because I said not many people may some pronunciations are also a little complicated. No, I understand. I just wanted to make sure to present Ugam the way you present yourself. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, that's incredible. 
since Ugam is so supportive of educating girls on all these three pillars and things, can you go into or deeper into how education impacts a girl's sense of agency within India? See, empowerment in general and agency being one part of it, it is not an out-and-out education challenge, right? So to connect it in some kind of a singular causality way, it doesn't work like that. No. So it needs to have multiple aspects and it needs to be also the message also needs to go through multiple sources right that's why we don't work only with the girls we also work with the schools uh-huh it's a very intersectional problem or not a problem but challenge because see maybe i'll go and i'll facilitate a session for two hours as for example right and through the session some kind of thinking is provoked some kind of questioning around i'm just to give you an example around gender support right Mm -hmm. that i managed to do that and through that some messaging has gone down gone through the through the girls but i exit after two hours the and the schools where we work are residential schools run by government of india right so these are government run residential schools for girls but the 22 other hours that girl is living in a particular situation yeah. So the messaging has to be a lot more consistent. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, a two-hour session is not going to be, I mean, irrespective of who will do it, it can't, it won't be so powerful that it will overcome all the other inputs or experiences that the girl has, whether it's at home, whether it's in the community, within families, etc. So it's likewise with the agency also. So we do uh, sessions and it's not, I would also not say that whatever change happens is only because of Ugam's inputs. It's a lot of things. So it's the input the girl is receiving from her teachers and her principal. It's the inputs that come from family. So a lot of things go into it. It's also inputs about creating a certain kind of a peer group. So given all that, we do say changes. But I wouldn't say now suddenly like it's it's like from zero to hundred kind of changes. Changes do happen. Girls are able to negotiate, delay their age of marriage. Girls have started now thinking, getting up, like some of the girls we work with, they go out, they get their blood checked to, to know what their hemoglobin levels are. They question, <laughs> yeah, they question some of the deeply held ritualistic or whatever superstition is a strong word, so I won't use it, but traditional ritualistic belief systems around menstruation. Yeah. yeah. So they may not come down on the streets with banners and shout slogans but the fact that they are questioning in in their own small way they've started talking to their mothers and sisters and cousins about it and sort of that itself is for me that's change absolutely so could could you also say that maybe education creates a ripple effect that eventually leads to girls empowered like agency and voice maybe so Definitely, see, coming to school brings lots of things to that, right? And these are, again, residential schools for only girls. So they move away from home. They learn to learn to live independently. Within these schools, a lot of time is devoted to uh, learning, a lot of peer group around you. So there are lots of 
potential friendships and support groups that get created in it, with, not with that intent, but inadvertently that that becomes uh, so. It also builds some aspiration in terms of, okay, I not I don't want to stop at grade 12. I want to at least complete my graduation, which is after grade 12 plus three years in India. Okay. So a lot of the girls are completing graduation as well. These residential schools have given them that aspiration. It's given them that space so that, you know, girls from rural communities, remote communities, who otherwise don't have very easy access to senior secondary schools. Right? Given that the landscape is such. So because these are residential, girls come, they stay there and they kind of complete their grade 12. Wow. These are success stories. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, it's a very well done scheme. It's and these are these kind of residential schools called Kasturba Gandhi Balika Vidyalaya. I can email you the name, or oh, it could yeah. be on website. Of course, these are run across India. Wow! Okay, kids so in India would have these. And are just to be clear, are these schools co-ed? So girls and boys? No, 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 just girls. Yeah, They're just for girls. Yeah, they are only meant for girls and that's also linked to their genesis. See, the genesis of these schools is that the they were designed to improve access to senior schooling for girls. Okay. Right, because at primary grades, India has achieved gender parity. So, if primary, I mean, not to say that not a single girl is out of school in primary, there are girls out still, but a lot of girls are enrolled in primary school. But when you move to the secondary school section, girls do tend to drop out sometimes because the distances become larger. Girls are hitting pure puberty, things like that. That's why these are only girls. And that's why they start at grade six. They don't start from grade one. Okay. This is actually a good kind of segue into our next question. But what are the unique barriers to education girls face in India? multiple things right so there are social level issues linked to families belief systems uh, whether it's patriarchy whether it's male child preference i mean you know it so i'm not going into detail but so there are social issues at at one level which are linked to some deeply held notions about gender and patriarchy and things two there are also sometimes infrastructural challenges the hamlets are quite remote. The villages may be remote, may be isolated. And uh, the school may be a kilometer, two, three kilometers away. Sometimes the roads are not well, like tarred roads, right? It, it's pathways through some forest area sometimes. And every day for the girls to walk through to twice a day to go and to come back may become challenging. Sometimes there are also economic reasons where uh, families need girls to contribute monetarily by working or non-monetarily by taking care of the household agriculture or household chores that, so that others may go out and work. Okay. So primarily challenges around this, access, social taboos or beliefs and economic compulsion. Well, very interesting because... I feel like other parts of the world definitely don't experience the same barriers that maybe like India and Southeast Asia does whenever it comes to this, because I remember interviewing somebody from Pakistan as well, and it's very similar. Transportation, family values, 
things like this are all the same kind of similar issues. And I know Pakistan is right next to India, but it, it's just very interesting because here in America, if, if girls don't go to school, it's usually, it's not because of those issues. It's not the same barriers that we're facing. So also perhaps Africa, some of the African countries might be facing similar challenges. Yes. Yeah, definitely. On the positive side, oh, it yeah. is changing. <laughs> That's great. No, you that's definitely great. have more girls in schools. You definitely have more girls in colleges. Yeah, definitely. Did you know, according to NPR's Goats and Soda blog, women in India are becoming healthier and more educated as India grows richer, yet remain unemployed. By 2030, India is forecast to be the third largest economy in the world, behind only the USA and China. Millions of Indians are emerging from poverty each year, yet according to the latest World Bank figures from 2021, fewer than one in five Indian women work, at least formally. And economists are stumped. There are a few theories as to why the number of working women remains low, but one thing is for certain. You cannot sustain progress unless you take women along with you. Read more about this puzzle at NPR's Goats and Soda blog. And we can keep going towards that positive segue because the next question is, what are the future plans and goals for UGAM? So currently, UGAM works with the entire state of Jharkhand, which has 260 such residential schools. Oh, wow. Uh, every, it's India, so everything is large. And yeah, that's a lot of students. <laughs> right, right. So these 260 schools roughly reach out to 100,000 adolescent girls. Wow, that's big. That's big. That, that is, that's big. So currently, we firstly intend to consolidate and deepen our impact across all these 260 schools. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, our reaches across 260 schools, we need to deepen the uh, the work and consolidate the uh, what we do there. Secondly, we also run some other programs, again, to ensure increased reach to more girls. So one such program, which actually came out from school closures because of COVID, was that we realized that we will have to create young women as local leaders uh, because mm-hmm. ultimately whenever there is uh, one it's the the biggest and the most sustainable and probably impactful way to operate it yeah. may be slow because you are working through you build capacity of one section of people and then move forward like that but i think it's sustainable to also in case of crisis or any such eventuality uh, the community never goes away anywhere. They are there. They That's where uh, they live. So uh, Lopa may not be able to reach there from Mumbai because flights have shut down, whatever. But I am still in my hamlet. I'm still in my village. There are other adolescent girls around me all the time. So we created a program where we are developing or we are facilitating leadership development and empowerment amongst young women to become role models and local leaders. These young women are the alumni of the schools we work with, of the Kasturba Gandhi schools, right? So these are young women who have themselves spent five, six, seven years in a school where they today go and facilitate sessions. 
so it's like because they are alum so the girls who are currently in classrooms they relate very very easily and highly with these young women because these are fellows the sashakti fellowship program that we run the fellows will share with them but they know like few years back i used to sit on a bench like that or yeah even my family does this it uh, talks about these things with me or yeah it's not easy to convince uh, my father to let me go out of town and study elsewhere or whatever are the challenges they face right um, so there is a very high level of uh, rapport and relatability the fellows become very very real relatable role models not not somebody who is a great leader and a great role model but she is so far removed from my reality that i can say oh wow she is a great leader but i may then on the other hand say that but well my reality is so different what is it that i can learn from or anyway right these these fellows are very very relatable aspirational role models that these younger girls they keep saying that mujhe didi jaisa banna hai means in hindi uh, in english it means i want to also be like her when i grow up oh i love that wait so this kind of reminds me of have you heard the metaphor you shouldn't just give people fish you should teach them to fish right. This sounds very similar to that to me. So you're teaching these girls to be leaders so they can be sustainable and continually like create their own realities and you know vision of the future and everything. And I love that. I think that's beautiful. And also these fellows have I mean personally their own journeys of empowerment have been just amazing. And I would have told you to actually interview one or two of them but they they don't speak English so well. so if at, at all it needs to be done in hindi but they've had some amazing journeys themselves and they also become our last mile connectivity they are ugams connect in classrooms in communities doing what they do facilitating sessions discussions activities all kinds of things now awesome you're building all the future leaders for india and i love it <laughs> Born girl empowerment all over the world we needed it right so what advice would you give to someone who wanted to support your work and make a difference no matter where they live anywhere in the world so i think firstly very often we live in such different worlds that even though we have empathy we we don't realize the depth the degree of resilience that my girls have to show the degree of disempowerment they face so i think the more people participate listen to podcasts like this participate in and there are many forums books films whatever so that would be i think first i mean i mean i've had i i know of friends who live in mumbai who may not be able to imagine what's what challenges girls are facing today right two i think and with that with a heart full of that i think engage with ngos ugam being one but i'm sure there are many more third it a selfish level i must say donate <laughs> because uh, everything said and done our work does depend on grants and donations we don't receive of course uh, grants from 
from the government. So it's it is people, it is uh, corporations, it is uh, large organizations and institutes that we depend on. So definitely that. And and there are also in-kind ways that you can engage, right? So if I were to speak about Ugam, we definitely want to engage with academia and researchers so that, you know, whatever data, whatever work we are doing, how can we put it out there for advocacy, for, for further thinking, and for people to kind of look at and understand. See, we are program designers and we are implementing it people right so we need that lens so if there are people who do that that will be great if there are people who we constantly need people who write who can write and variety of things for social media for blogs for all kinds of things so that will be another big help we need filmmakers photographers we work with a lot of indigenous people girls because jharkhand is a very highly tribal state. So we have girls who are from many different tribes. And in fact, one of the big advantages of working with our fellowship program is that our girls are very, very multilingual. Oh, okay. so, uh, yeah, so English is not uh, not out there uh, in their, their gamut of things, but they speak many tribal languages. So very often on the ground, when you are in those tribal areas, their ability to speak and understand the language really is very helpful. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> right. So, coming back to how people can volunteer or intern with us is about this also making short, small films about these girls, uh, coming recording their tribal music and songs. These are all things out there. We are not able to do it because we are limited by our resources and our core work. Mm-hmm. So those would be helpful and I think my strongest thing and it's a very big ask I know but my strongest suggestion would be wherever you are gather some resources there is nothing better than coming and spending time on ground in these spaces in these schools with these girls and kind of learning so I think that would be my strongest suggestion yeah definitely next vacation do some good those were all the questions, but right now I want to give you the opportunity to add anything you'd like us to add into the podcast that maybe you felt like you didn't get to say. So if you would like to say anything, you can do that now. Firstly, just a, a big thank you. I think world over, whoever and organizations or people who are working on this entire women or girls empowerment and education space, it's a complex space. It requires multiple lenses because there's a psychology and economy and a sociology and cognitive education inputs and a lot of other things that are involved. It's not easy to move the needle. I think to people who are looking to potentially fund it, it is a long game. It's not like a pill that there is a problem, you take the pill and you feel better in two hours. It's, It's a long game and uh, that's why we need to be there for the long run. To be there in the long run, for the long run, we need support. <laughs> so. Definitely. It's a lifetime journey and cause that you're supporting. It's not just a season. It's, it's life. It's, it's multiple seasons. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's all. 
Okay. Thank you so much, Lopa. I really enjoyed interviewing you. I'm so happy that I got to speak with you and learn more about Upnam. Really, genuinely, I am. I love these conversations that I get to have with people. I love learning. I, so this is great for me too. So thank you for sharing your stories. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening in today. Check out the Girls Ed blog at girlsed.org to learn more about our impact and follow our social media on Facebook and Instagram at Girls Education International. Again, please consider donating so we can keep uplifting girls around the world. I'm your host, Ana Ivanchi, and I'm wishing you an empowering day ahead.